0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, the Old Testament book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs chapter 22. We've been looking for wisdom this year, and as we've been looking through wisdom, we've been spending quite a bit of time in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, a book of practical sayings to help serve as guideposts in the life that God has given to us. And with it, we're looking for God's wisdom. Wisdom is the idea of seeing things from God's perspective. And I think that would be a good way of looking at it today as we look at a very important subject. We're trying to find God's perspective in the idea of raising children. We know that man has a lot of different perspectives and they have perspectives that counteract each other and contradict each other. We need to go through the mess and go higher than that and find what does God have to say and what is the practicality, the wisdom that we could sense from here. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Proverbs chapter 22, and we come to a verse, a very important verse that if you've never highlighted or marked, this is a good one to mark and to have memorized. Proverbs chapter 22, and notice with me in verse 6. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way that he he shall go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And with this, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, and notice with me in verse six, train up a child in the way that he shall go. Train up a child in the way that he shall go. And with this, we're going to hit a more pastoral type message of training and equipping and trying to explain this so people can be successful in training up a child in the way that they should go. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us your wisdom, your discernment, especially on this very important matter, that you would just guide and direct us, let your word come alive, let the practicality and advice come forth, let people see the wisdom, That comes from you, and that we could see fruit that remains because of what is preached here today. Lord, I definitely need your help. I need you physically. I need you mentally. I need you spiritually. Lord, I dare not trust my own. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. I give you my health. I give you my throat. I give you my lips. I give you my thoughts. They're all yours for you to do whatever you see fit to get accomplished to help your people today through your spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 22 verse 6 is such an important verse. We know that training up a child is the process of creating the right desires in this verse, in this world. Some people misunderstand this verse. Some people think that this verse teaches that if we put everything that we should inside of a kid, we give them the right education, we give them, we drag them to church, drag them to Sunday school, that what this verse says in their mind is that they're going to hit 18 and they're going to rebel against everything that has ever been taught, 21 they're going to say I hate you and I hate your church and I don't want anything part of it. When they hit the 30s, they start to realize that maybe they were different. By the time they hit their 40s, they might start coming back to church. And by the time they're 50s, they might actually read their Bible. That's not what this says at all. It doesn't say that if you put the things inside of them, that when they're old in age, that they'll not depart from it. What this is saying is that if you train up a child in the way that they shall go that when they are 13 years old, they will not depart from it. If you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they're 18 years old, they will not depart from it. When they're 21 years old, when they're 30 years old, when they're 50 years old, they will not depart from it. Now we cannot, cannot apply a promise to God God that he did not say, and we cannot apply a promise that we have misunderstood and try to apply it to God. It is important that we understand this verse and what it is saying so that way we can get the right Results that we could see what is happening because we know a lot of people who tried to raise their kids in church and try to give them the right things and they didn't turn out right. They did not follow after God. What happened? What is wrong? Well, we need to find God's wisdom, God's perspective, and have an understanding of this. Notice, if you don't mind, as we're kind of just looking through here, verse number six train up a child. This phrase, train up, has a colloquial meaning or a uh, (laughs) a phrase uh, that's not literal, but it's carrying a uh, illustration with it. This training up is a colloquial meaning, and it's describing a process of a midwife that when a baby would be born, what they would do is they would take this tart paste and they would put it on the gums of the brand new baby who was just born. And this tart paste would cause the baby to have a natural reaction of and begin to move their lips and their their mouth in a certain way. And what this is doing, this tart paste, would allow the baby to start forming. Now, remember, at a baby, you're not gonna be able to have educational classes. All right, child, this is what you have to do. What you're trying to do is you're training up a child to do it unconsciously, to do it on command. What, what are they doing with this? Well, remember that back then they didn't have Similec, They didn't have Walmart. They didn't have formula that the baby had to feed from mom. And so if the baby didn't feed from mom, then the baby would go hungry. And so this tart paste would allow this baby to start getting the motions of so that way it would go ahead and feed off mom already. It's already put something as a response, a reaction to the baby. And this is where that training up comes from. It comes from that colloquial term. And it's carrying the idea when you're training up a child is that you're putting it deep inside of them, inside of their heart. So it's not an educational, this is how you do this. You are putting it in their heart so it becomes a part of them. So this verse, when we put it in context, is when you train up a child or you put it inside of them, you put it in their heart When they are old, pick the age, they will not depart from it. This is where people have missed it, is that they have tried so hard to work on the outside behavior. They've tried really hard to try to work on instructing them, but they never grabbed a hold of their heart. And because the heart was never touched, never grabbed a hold of, they departed from all the other teachings they were taught. This has to have its proper context, that we're talking about training up a child. We're talking about putting those same things in their heart for a child to have the correct desires placed inside of them. Now, a child may not understand or realize what mom or dad is doing, but in doing this, the mother and father are training a child to have the right response and the right desires from the very beginning. So they are doing things outside of normal instruction to put these things in their heart. So this verse is saying that if we implant the right desire in a child, when they grow up, they're not going to turn to something else. Now if we wait and allow everything else to be put into their mind, then try to put the things that are right, it's going to be too late. They already have a desire for the things of the world. This is why you're trying to work with the kids early and trying to work with them. Now, before you could train up a child the way they should go, it's a responsibility for mom and dad to create a taste and a right desire for God. That if mom and dad have the right desire for God, then that's gonna be a good step. Remember, if you've never written this down, please write this down. You don't produce what you want necessarily. You reproduce what you are. You don't reproduce what you want. You reproduce what you are. So if you're not following God, you are not going to reproduce someone who follows God. If you don't love the things of the Lord, you will not reproduce something (laughs) uh, that loves the Lord. You reproduce not necessarily what you want. You reproduce what you are. And so part of loving the Lord is going to be caught and not taught. The idea of you having a relationship with God is going to be caught and not taught. If you won't read the Bible, why would you expect your kids to read your Bible? If you don't like church, why do you expect them to like church? You understand you have the responsibility, parents, of trying to be right with God so you could put the right things into their heart. Now with that, let me give several things here talking about training up a child. First of all, if you don't mind, training is a process. Training is a process. What do we mean by this? It has to be done over and over again and over, and over, and over, and over. It is a process. Even with basic teaching, they teach teachers that for them to get across to their students, the student needs to hear it seven times. How much more for your children? They need to see this. It needs to be over, and over, and over, and over. They're not going to learn it just the first time. Nobody learns it the first time. Even the most conscientious student doesn't grasp everything they're supposed to grasp from a subject the first time. So training is a process. You have to continue to work with them on it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Now, this is where the first failure starts because parents get tired of training them over and over and over and over. And so they stop. But they need to continue to be consistent over and over and over and over and over and over. In addition, not only is training a process, but we also see that there's a process of priming. A process of priming. What does this mean? It's vital to do what is necessary for our children to take their spiritual nourishment. What we're trying to do is that we're trying to create a desire in them. Now this, it goes beyond just working on the outside. You have to learn how to put these things in the inside of them. In order to get the right things out of a child, you have to have the right things in a child. Let me give an example. You could start by, if we want to put the right things in the child, you start by reading the Bible to your child as early as you can. You say, well, I'm kind of new at this. Do it anyways. You do your best for it. You said, but I don't get all the words right. That's fine. What you're trying to do is create this time. They'll never forget. My mom used to read the Bible to me. They'll never forget that. It will become a part of them. They'll now have a desire for it because that was a good memory that they had. You work with them on this. You have to work with them. Um, That's why we try to get the kids who have memory verses Every kid who has a memory verse, we say, parents, you have to work with your kids. You know what's happening? We're not just trying to get you to memorize the verse. We're trying to create that memory. My mom helped me to memorize verses and it became an important part of my life. Yes, you're trying to get it so it's a part of them. So they have a desire. It's not, you'll never get far of getting them in their spiritual life, read your Bible or else. They won't have a desire to read it. They may do it because they have to, but you are trying to work on getting their heart, getting the, in there where this is something I want to do. This is something I'm supposed to do. This is something that's part of my life. You're working in it, trying to prime it, trying to get it deep in their heart. You have to train up a child the way that they should go by capturing their heart. Capturing their heart. As we continue on, we understand there's something else here <laughs> that not only is a process of priming but it is a process that is prolonged, a process that is prolonged, meaning that this training process travels through maturity. What do we mean by this? Well, when you look at a child's stages, we know that at different stages of life they have different understandings, different maturity, different things that they could process that We know that the first five years of a child is what is called the golden age of learning. During the first five years, they will learn more in those five years of their life than the rest of their entire life. You say, but they don't have a college degree. But yeah, but think of all the things they have to learn. For example, you may take it for granted, or some of us may start realizing (laughs) that it's not for granted anymore, but how to walk but they had to learn how to walk. They had to learn how to get and stand up to their feet and hold up and get their balance. And then you would work with them and get in the other side of the the living room. Come on, take a step, come on. And they would take the step and fall and yay, you did it. You know, that was a lot of things. Think about walking. All the different processes that have to go on that when you're young, you take it for granted. But when you're older, you start missing again. Balance. Balance. I mean, different steps or like my daughter, a painted line can throw off balance. I mean, you've got a lot of things that have to calculate inside of your brain. You take it for granted, but all of those things have to go in there. If I lift up on one foot, that's balance. And then I put down and, you know, there's things that you have to learn. Before a child says their first word, they say that they could understand 1,000 to 2,000 words. They've already learned quite a bit, but they had to learn those words. What do they mean? How do they associate? How do we work with them? Those are things during the first five years of their life, they have learned so much. The people who study such things say by the time they are age five, they are already developing their personality. That's why the, going up to age five, you have so much to teach them. And if you neglect them, that's going to affect in their personality. It starts to affect their personality, what they're like, what they dislike, how they're going to respond all by age five. They say those people who study such things that by the time they turn to age seven, their personality is set by age seven. That's pretty early. You have to catch it early. Now, we know that as an adult or teenager, a young person, you could make some adjustments, but you understand those first five years are critical. But they're not over with either. That if you can get and spend, a mother can spend a lot of time with their kids at the very beginning, you are paying off lots of dividends. You are paying off things that are going to help you out for the rest of their life. Beyond that, remember, it's a process that's prolonged, that during the first five years of their life, they're learning so much, but they're not going to get everything they got right then. It's a prolonged plan. Now that you have to work with them after they're seven years old, you're still working with them. And you're starting to work with them even when they're teenagers. You have to keep working with them. I heard a foolish parent once say, she was a school teacher. She says, don't even try to discipline a child till they hit teenager. That's when they need it. Oh no, by the time they're a teenager, it's way too late. You need to start working on them young when they're malleable. You're trying to train them and put them in there. You want to try to get them all throughout this whole process of working with them and putting it in their heart. Remember this training as it's, as it's prolonged. You are continuing to influence them and working with them. And you want to keep that influence. Remember, such things as always answer their questions. But they're bothering me with their questions. Why is water wet? Why is the sky blue? Answer them anyways. Because if you keep putting them off and say, don't ask me, ask me later, and put them off, they will go get their answers from someone that you don't want them to get answers from. They will learn that they can't depend upon you for answers and they will go to other sources. Listen, you do not want a seven year old to go to his classmate to go ask about things of life. And you do not want a teenager to go to his friends to go find out things about life. You want them to learn to stay with you. But you have to have this process of that they're always welcome. If you wanna try to make it so that you're never too busy for them. Again, you wanna make it so they could talk to you at any time. Whether they're a little kid or whether they're an older kid, you want to have that relationship where they trust you. For example, when they start to turn into older teenagers and they're starting to think about who they're going to marry, they should be willing to go to Mom and Dad at the very beginning and say, "Is this a good person for me to marry?" Why? Because people could be twiddle-pated That's a Disney term. They could be uh, at the place where they're so love-sick that they don't see the flaws. Listen, there's not a single perfect person out there. And as much as that guy may be great as daddy, I will never fall in love with him. And my daughters can be blinded if they fall in love with him. They should be able to go to dad and say, dad, do you see something in him that I don't see? Is there something I need to be warned about? We should have that type of relationship that they come to me, not me go to them and say, you have a bad boyfriend. No, I love him anyways. Right? That's what every romantic story movies out there is about. No, we should have such a relationship that if I see something wrong with him, she'd be saying, you know what? This is not the right guy for me. And I'm protecting her. Does it make sense? This is a process that we developed Over the years, I can't expect to have that type of relationship with her when she moves out of the house after I've neglected her for 18, 20 years. This is a process that you're always working on. Bringing them close. Learning to ask questions. Talking. Being willing to allow them to talk about difficult subjects. Hard to talk about subjects. Birds and the bees. All the stuff. Answer their questions. Let them realize they can always come to you and that you'll give them an honest answer. By the way... Since we're at the Christmas season, let me kick this. Be careful about lying to your kids about holiday stuff. Because if they realize that you lied to them about this, they'll have a hard time trusting you in other matters as well. You said, but it's a little thing. But to them, it's a big deal. Don't lie to them about fairy tale creatures, (laughs) holiday creatures. That will hurt your relationship with them so much. Don't lie to them. Be honest with them. (laughs) If you don't know an answer, I don't know is a good answer, but it should be followed up with, let's go find the answer. Let them realize, this is a prolonged thing you're working with them. Let them realize they can always come to you for questions. This is that part of that training, part of that working with them, part of them learning how to work with you, learning to trust you. It is a prolonged process. It doesn't stop until they leave your house. But then hopefully you have enough influence that they're still willing to say, I need to call dad. I need some advice. I need to call mom. I need some advice that you've developed this relationship and that they're willing to use you as wise counsel. But it is a process that you're working with and you're trying to the entire time not just work on the outside but to capture their heart. You have to work on keeping their heart captured because once their heart goes away it is going to be very hard to impossible for you to ever get their heart back. You have to work on this process and work with them now. In this, we know that this process is personalized. personalized. This process is personalized. What do we mean by this? Children are different. One size does not fit fit all. Just like we don't teach just one subject matter or curriculum, we have to teach children differently and get them different things. What do we mean by this? One of the most amazing things to me that was amazing just baffling is how my wife and I raised our kids the same same genetic material and yet all three of my kids are different in personality and likenesses and weaknesses and strengths all of them are different I meant completely different we had Serena the princess and she was a cute baby and look at this then we had Zeb and Zeb was completely different um princess needed lots of attention. Zeb didn't need lots of attention. And then we figured we got it solved. We got the two things. Then we had Krista who just threw everything off and, and what just happened here. And all three of my kids, because they have different personalities, by the way, they're all sinners, but they all struggled with different sins. Like we all struggle with different sins. You know, we can make a, a thing about no lying, no lying, no lying. And we could blanket them, no lying and just make lying. But maybe one of them didn't have a problem lying, but they had a problem cleaning their room. But I never take care of that. I've allowed a character flaw to stay in their life that's going to stay with them that I should have taken care of. But they don't lie. Remember, they're all different. They're going to have different things that we have to work with on them, that it can't be just blanket. There are going to be some that require more attention at different times whatever it takes to capture their heart and to work on them. But it is a personalized process because they are different individuals with different personalities, different traits, different sins, different issues, different interests. I mean, even my kids, as much as they're raised in the same household, they don't like doing the same things with dad. And definitely not at the same time. So I have to spend time with them. If you ever want a great story, I encourage you to study the biography of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was uh, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the the, uh, founders of Methodism or the Methodist Church. They also uh, wrote music. We have some of their songs in the hymn book. But they were one of 14 kids how would you like to have 14 kids running in your house? And Susanna Wesley made sure that she spent time with all 14 kids during the week. All 14 had a special time where it was just her and them during the week. She set that up. That's a busy mom, isn't it? To spend that time with them, to make sure that they were invested, that nothing was missed, you have to spend that time with them. They say today that the average father spends four minutes of face-to-face time with their kids, if that much. Four minutes a day. How much influence can you have with someone if only you had was four minutes a day? You understand this is why we're bringing our attention because someone can say, well, I'm doing a good job. But if you're not spending time with a kid, how are you influencing them? You know, how many shows, movies, people that we have that say, well, my dad never played catch with me. Why is that a big deal? It's spending time with them, doing something they like to do. You have to do that. If they like to play checkers and you don't like to play checkers, you play checkers. Spend time with them. Try to find out what they like. But this is a process that goes on throughout their life. You have to have their interest. You can't just expect them to like everything you like. Now, if they do, bonus. But if not, you still have to. You know, if some like a specific type of movie or, or, or books or whatever else, and the other ones don't, well, that's fine. You can't force them all to enjoy what you like. You have to find out what they like, find out their interest and be able to meet them there. This is a personalized process. You have to find out who they are and work with them and find ways to like what they like or meet somewhere in the middle of that thing. When we're teaching this process here, remember the whole time that we're preaching for the Lord As we teach the kids. What do we mean by this? That what we're doing is that we're trying to please God. And the goal is to raise the kids to follow after God. He's the one that needs to be pleased as we're working with the kids. And trying to find wisdom from him. As we continue on, we know that there's another thing. It is a two-part process. It is a two-part process. The first part is preventative instruction preventative instruction. What do I mean by this? The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from this. This is a preventative process that we're trying to put in the inside of them. We're trying to put it in them. It has to be taught uh, to get them in. How do we get it in? Well, we have to go from the inside or outside in. We have to work on the outside and work and getting them in there. Somehow, some way, reading the Bible to them, praying. Now, as they mature, they get more and more control over their lives, as they should. But during this time, the inward control of the child has to be monitored by an outside control. Children know that control is good for them. You know, it's amazing. All kids want authority. Now, they may rebel at it, but all kids want someone to keep them in authority. I can't tell you how many kids I've counseled over the years that said, my mom and dad didn't care what I did, so I got more and more trouble to hopefully that they would notice me. They want someone to care enough to discipline them. Now, they may not like the discipline when it hits them, but they feel like they're loved when they're disciplined. They want control. (laughs) And as a child matures you're still going to have to make sure that you are monitoring their heart that doesn't go astray and doesn't go up there. Yes. They're now responsible for doing their own chores by the way they should, but there should be consequences for it. If they failed not to do because there's consequences in life, you can't take away those consequences, but at the same time, you need to do with the check their heart. Do they still love God? Do they still want to do things? Where's their want to on this? Where's their desires at? That's part of that process. They become their own person, but you can't just say, all right, well, you're your own person, walk away. They're still going to need guidance. You still need to check up on them again. Even if it's something simple, how's your Bible reading? You, you're hopefully by the time their teenagers move past the thing, all right, wake up and read your Bible. They should be reading their Bible on their own. But you should be at the place, how is your Bible reading and see where their heart is. And if they're not, try to check up on them. Now, I understand this part of parenting is hard because you're trying to get them to do it on their own, but still at the same time, making sure that they're doing it with their heart. But that's part of that process that you've been working with them. Same thing when you're discipling someone you're not, you can't say, read your Bible, read your Bible. I'm calling you today, read your Bible, wake up, read your Bible. But you should be expecting that how's your Bible reading in them to be reading it and checking in their heart where they're at. This is part of that process. But this is that preventative thing. You're trying to get it inside of their heart so they will do what's right. But then there's the second part and that's the corrective instruction a corrective instruction. Notice with me Proverbs 3. Again, we're covering this lecture dealing with training up a child. And we want our kids to be raised up. And these are things that need to be brought to our attention because sometimes they're not brought to our attention. We don't realize how important it is that we capture their hearts. We could work on the outside of them, and that's what often happens. But we don't capture their inside heart. We don't capture their heart for the Lord and try to make it deep inside of them. And there's going to be problems with this later on, and we'll cover that. But we talked about there's a preventative measures that you're trying to put it in their heart beforehand, but there's also corrective instruction. Notice with me in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, notice with me verse 11. Proverbs 3 and verse 11, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Children will not always listen to preventative instruction. They must be corrected when they do uh, stray from the path. So we want to try to get them from to putting the, um, putting the, um, excuse me, I'm going for an illustration now, putting the <laughs> paper clip into the light switch, right? We want to avoid them doing that, but if they decide to disobey them, there should be consequences for it. Does that make sense? We, we need to work with them. Those have to work together. Our chastening should be much more correction than punishment. There's a difference between correction correction and punishment. The difference is, is that punishment is the attitude towards it. The punishment carries the idea that I want to get back at them because they made me look bad. I'm trying to punish them because they disobeyed me. We're doing it because it's personal. The idea of correction is that we're doing it for them to keep them from doing that behavior again, that I should be out of the equation. It should be about them. We're trying to bring them to the place where they're more accountable to God, but they have to have consequences. The Bible very clearly talks about here, whom the Lord loveth, he corrected. And even as a father, the son, whom he delighteth. You understand that the reason why God corrects us is because he loves us. And if we didn't love us, then he wouldn't correct us. And then it says it to a father, any parent who refuses to discipline their kid doesn't love their kid. According to the Bible, you said, that's hard. I know, but we have to, if we love them, we don't want them to grow up being horrible people. We need to correct their behavior now. Because we love them, because we want the best for them, because we want them to be the best in their life, we correct their behavior now. Now we also see, as we continue on, the process of complementary principles. Let's go through a bunch of principles here that complement each other. First of all, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship build rebellion. So often we focus on the person's behavior rather than focusing on how they believe. That why should they do right? Because I said so. All right, well, is there something else? We should be able to do this to be able to say to please the Lord trying to bring them to their own accountability to God. If they understand that God's watching what they do, it should change how they respond, how they react. We should take us out of the equation as much as possible and bring them to their own accountability to God. Do you think this is the right thing to do? Why do you think that was the right thing to do? So, you know, (laughs) having a sibling smack the other one, blam, I'm in a good running start where they're running across the room and just smack them, all right? did you think what you did was right? Yeah. Why did you think that was right? You know, now you're starting to get into their behavior, belief a little bit. What crossed your mind? Why wasn't this? Why was this a correct way of thinking? Why was it an incorrect way of thinking? And then you use the outside to try to help formulate the inside. So many people just concentrate on the outside behavior that they never work on the inside. But that's the heart of the matter. And that when you have rules without having a relationship, having rules just for the sake of rules, without bringing them to why they need the rules, this is the way, (laughs) why don't we steal? Because you don't want to do that when you grow up. You want to be a good person in society. You can't go stealing everything. You have to work for what you have. You're teaching a lesson for it. You can't let you go out for that. Well, just because I said so or not getting them to the understanding that they shouldn't do it because it's not right. It's just going to lead to rebellion. Rules without a relationship lead to rebellion even with the idea of a parent if a parent doesn't have a good relationship with a kid just having the rules is just going to bring up more rebellion a second idea here is that you must have a relationship with that child if the child knows that you love them then it will be a lot better to correct their behavior But at the same time, we have to also work that they also have our love no matter what their behavior is. That their behavior doesn't determine our love. We correct them because we love them. We set these rules because we love them. But I also love them regardless. Now, we have our time with this, trying to separate this. Let's just say that my daughter decided that she was going to go a little bit crazy. And that she was going to go uh, <laughs> go and date a guy who... Um, who had long hair that was dragging past his waist and had jeans so tight that you could see whether the quarter in his pockets was head and tails. I would still say, I love you and I care for you. I'm gonna try to support you. She needs to know that her behavior doesn't affect my love towards her. Does that make sense? A child needs to know that, that I don't love them less when they messed up. I still love you. You need to make sure that it gets across. They know that they always have your love. This will help them to respond better towards you. But I love you and I care for you. And there's nothing you could do to make me stop loving you. They need to know that that's secure and that is settled and that will never change. Now, when you continue to work with them, you want to watch out for (laughs) little signs. For example, Apathy is quiet rebellion. Apathy is quiet rebellion. What I mean by this? Well, what about, can you do this for me? I don't care. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. That's quiet rebellion. They may not be full blown. Listen here. I don't care what you tell me to do. I'm not going to do it. But it's still rebellion. There should be a response that comes through it. and You have to watch out for that Apathy. Apathy is quiet rebellion. More principle with this that anger ruptures relationships. Parents, you are responsible for controlling your own anger. Don't yell at them a- out of anger. Don't beat them out of anger. Don't correct them out of be- anger. That anger needs to be taken care of before that. That anger will destroy and rupture a relationship, it will cause rebellion. It will cause them where you lose your influence. You need to control that anger when you're dealing with the kids. I'm not saying not be angry. I'm saying you take care of that anger before you deal with the kids. If you correct, don't correct in anger. If you correct in anger, it becomes a show of force. And basically you're going back to a level of a child. Why did the child hit? He took my toy, so I hit him back. What you do is you start bringing it down to a childish level. You should be the parent. You should be the leader. Remember, as a leader, you don't have the same rights as a follower. If a child gets angry, that's what a child does. You don't have the right to be angry when you're dealing with your kids. They, You don't have that same right. Your most effective correction is when you've calmed down and dead to self and letting God work through you to make sure that you correct them. I mean, after all, this is an important part. We want God to be working in their life. And I need wisdom beyond myself to help them to work, to get the kid to understand. I need God involved and I can't do that if I'm angry. I need to be dead to self. I need to be right with God so that way the kid could respond to me properly. Remember, your kids will respond to you the way that you respond. If you respond out of anger, they're going to respond out of anger. If you respond out of love, they'll respond out of love, even in the process of correction. If you don't mind, one more thing in here. You guys have listened very patiently here. I'm just mistaken. We got a couple more. Good. It's also a process that demands provision. If you love them, you need to provide for them. You need to care enough for them to provide what they need. Give them. And they have needs. And they got lots of needs. And they have needs that never stop. They just keep going through shoes and going through clothes and whatever else. You still got to give it to them. They lose their toothbrushes. You still got to provide toothbrushes for them. You can't say, well, that was your toothbrush for the year. You're just out of luck. you've got to take care of them. Even when they lose stuff, you got to provide for them. That's part of it. And you got to understand that that's your part in it. Now you want to try to keep them to be responsible for your stuff, but still things happen. You still got to provide for them. We must provide a uh, Christ-like affection for them. We need to show them unconditional love. Again, I said before, and I'll say again, that kids need to know that Our love for them is not affected on their behavior. We're going to love them no matter what. That needs to be settled. They need to never have to go on bed crying. I wonder if mom's going to love me tomorrow. That should never be an idea. They should go no matter what. I know my parents care for me. Always. You need to be able to show them that Christ-like affection. Because Christ has loved us when we were unlovely and when we were unrebellious. And that didn't affect his love. We must provide spirit-guided direction. Only when I'm spirit-led am I qualified to raise my kids. I don't have enough wisdom in myself to raise kids. I need God's help. We also need to provide them Bible-based correction. We need to have accountability. We need to show them mercy. We need to show them the type of correction that God uses for us to bring us to himself. Do it the Bible way. Then, We know it's a process that demands patience. It demands patience. It takes lots of patience to raise kids because they don't become perfect overnight. It takes a long time to raise them up. I was reading a statistic today that you will spend 75% of all the time you're ever going to spend with your kids before they're age 12. 75% of all the time you spent with your kid was done before age 12. 90% of all the time you're ever going to spend with your kid is before they're 18. But during that time, we need to show a lot of patience because we have this for a small amount of time. Let's use it, the time wisely to raise them, to love on them, to carry them. And when we do that, the rewards are unbelievable to invest in your kids early, to invest in your kids often when they grow up and become the people they ought to be. And maybe even more important to grow up, to be the kids of your grand- or parents of your grandparents. kids. Don't you want your grandkids to be raised right? Well, then you need to raise your kids right. But when they are following after God and they're living productive lives and they're successful and they're not in jail and they love the Lord and they're still following after God, those results are unbelievable. <laughs> From time to time, uh, people will ask me, well, how old are your kids? And I'll say uh, 19, 18, and <laughs> 17, getting close to the other ones. And they go, oh man, I'm so Sorry. Why are you sorry? I'm enjoying my kids now than, more than I've ever enjoyed them before. They're fun. We have a great time together. We enjoy spending time. We like doing things together. We have plans for Thursday for Thanksgiving that we can't wait. We're, we, everybody's got off. We're going to play Bible Jeopardy together. We're going to play Mario Kart 64 because we don't know how to play anything else beyond 64. Uh, <laughs> you know, we look forward to that. We're going to spend time together. Uh, w- w- that's isn't that a blessing. So many people don't have that in Thanksgiving where their kids don't want to even be in the same room as their parents. I'm enjoying my kids more than ever before. I'm a pastor of a church, but each of my kids have responsibilities in the church that are a great help. So much so that I'm in my mind going, what am I going to do when they leave? How are they going to take care of me? Who's going to make tea for me? (laughs) You know, I'm at a place now where my wife and I talk about what a great investment it was very early to be able to spend time with them. And the things that we've done to enjoy them now, they are a blast and we're looking forward to seeing what God's gonna do with them. We're thankful that we could have that. And anyone can have that following Bible principles, that training up a child in the way that they should go, carrying the idea that we put the stuff in their heart. We put it deep within them. And when they are 18, 20, when they're 25, they shall not depart from it. That's the great blessing to see this carried out is that we don't have to worry about my kids dropping out from church. At least I'm hoping not. I could be surprised. I'm not worried about them quitting reading the Bible. I'm expecting them to continue on because of the things put deep inside of them, not on the outside, but on the inside. Now, Again, forgive me from using my kids as an illustration, but I'm thankful that I can use them <laughs> as an illustration. That I'm thankful that we're at a process where we're enjoying life. And you can too. And as we are working and influencing people, whether it's students, whether it's grandkids, whether it's relatives, or whether it's Sunday school kids, these things are things that we're putting into them, investing in them, knowing this principle that if we put the right things in their heart, That when they are old, they will not depart from it. Again, I know this is more instructional, but we're thankful that we could have the instructions that we could raise our kids the way that we ought to and have the influence with them the way that we should. (laughs)